This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Podcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's AJ S-C-H-O-L-Z24. We're now in the final week of the NHL's regular season, and while we know most of the playoff participants, we still don't know any of the first-round matchups conclusively, so several of the remaining games will have some degree of importance this week. We're going to encourage our listeners to be aware of this fact and how it might relate to DFS picks for the remainder of the next six days. Uh, What's your opinion on that topic, AJ? Well, I think it's something uh, to monitor, you know, a game that's completely both sides just aren't aren't playing for anything. Maybe you consider not. um, But I I don't think it has to completely reshape your roster. You know, I think there's guys that are still worth taking in meaningless games. Uh, They're playing for spots next season. They're playing for new contracts. Uh, There's plenty of other motivators out there outside of just uh, making the playoffs. So I've included a a handful of guys that would fall into that category tonight. So for me, uh, you know, something to kind of keep an eye on. But overall, uh, I don't think it's going to really sway who I take on on a night to night basis. For my part, AJ, I'm going to try and lean on the games that have some degree of importance and and or look at the mismatches there are clearly a few mismatches on tonight's board and we'll get into some of those games a little bit later in our in our dfs segment but that's going to factor into my selections as well as weighing heavily on those teams that are playing in must games for them maybe even against a lesser opponent so that's going to be shaping my lineup it's going to be interesting to see if there's any overlap at the end of the show yeah, absolutely. I mean, matchups are, are always a key. We talk about every week. So uh, that is a good point. You know, you you have some games where a team really needs to win right. and the other side, it, it doesn't really matter for them. Uh, maybe those are a little bit more you key off on. But for, for the most part, I think you're targeting those matchups anyway. Uh, so I, for, like I said, I don't think it's going to change a ton. But before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us. We'll we'll try and answer those questions for you. You know, I know a lot of guys are thinking about what keepers to keep next season, uh, stuff like that. We're happy to answer those questions. You can follow me at AJ Scholes24, and you can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. 
All right, partner, let's get into this for the final week of the regular season. Reminding our listeners, we will have playoff versions of this show in ongoing nature over the next several weeks, too. So don't give up on us just yet. we got a lot more hockey to talk about in the playoffs. But for today, the last week of the regular season, front and center. And we begin, as always, with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, we've, I've been high on this team down the stretch, thinking they're going to be a real tough out because of the physical style of play. But boy, oh boy, they've got a couple of injuries now that... Uh, make them maybe an easier target depending on the nature of the outcomes of, of the situations with Cam Fowler and John Gibson in goal. Uh, maybe you can give us a bit of an update there. I'll also say they also have Ryan Miller in reserve in net. This guy's had a, a number of outstanding playoff runs in his career. I think he's a little long in the tooth to handle every second night right now, but uh, not a bad insurance policy there. And another aspect that I'll keep my eye on here is the third line here. I like the makeup of this unit with Henrik, Case, and Richie, AJ. A couple of, uh, some toughness there, a real good puck mover, and, and Case is a pretty skilled guy to fill that role. So that gives you an indication of just how deep these guys are when they can ice a unit uh, that competent looking on the third line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, uh, the bigger concern of those two injuries you highlight is actually Cam Fowler. Uh, you know, they're not as deep on the blue line. Uh, Kevin BX is one guy who maybe could have slotted in, but he's dealing with an injury as well. Uh, whereas with Gibson, uh, I think Ryan Miller, this is kind of where he could shine a little bit. I, I do agree. Uh, maybe a full season. He's not a number one guy anymore. So a full season, I think would have too much wear and tear on him, but he's been pretty well rested. Uh, hasn't played a lot of games lately. And I think if he needed to, to come in here at, at playoff time uh, might, you know, work out for them. They, they may not miss John Gibson as much as they might think, uh, but Cam Fowler's injury, I think is going to be huge. In Arizona, boy, there's not much left to talk about here. But one interesting note is that Dylan Strom is finishing strong with six points in his last seven games. It wasn't so long ago that this guy was a top three pick in the overall nature of a recent draft. So they've been waiting on him to show something, while some of the people in that draft class have certainly passed him in terms of making the grade already. So a uh, good finish for him might bode well for, for the club in the future. This guy should be a top six player and certainly a frontline center at some point based on the profile that he had throughout his junior career. It's also interesting to note that Max Domi's put on a big finish. 15 of his 42 points on the season have come in the month of March. I was wondering if he'd given up the ghost and, and wanted to kick this team to the curb but uh, that finish tells me that Max Domi still knows that he could be the face of this franchise down there and showed them what he's capable of in a pretty good month of play well Antti Ranta is another guy that's having a really strong finish uh, six wins in his last six games or five and five rather uh, with a 1.2 goals against average over that stretch, just shut out the St. Louis Blues in his most recent outing. I mean, this guy's single-handedly probably going to cost Arizona uh, a higher percentage at the draft this year, uh, just from his performance lately. And he's in. This is what I, what we were talking about. A guy that's playing for a contract next year is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, may or may not stay with Arizona. They brought in Darcy Kemper as well, so it's in, it'll be interesting how that shakes out. Uh, so this is another player to maybe look at. I know we talked about Arizona being bad uh, for much of the year and if they're playing tough matchups, but it, it clearly has not phased anti Ranta. And depending on the matchup, you may want to give him a look uh, in the last couple of games here. Over in Boston, this team has a busy schedule to finish their slate, owing to the fact that one of the games uh, they had scheduled with Florida 
uh, had been postponed and it's filled in this week so they play five games in the last eight days that's a tough road to hoe and I expect that they're going to get one of the early starts in the playoff uh, round I think they're going to start Wednesday night so uh, that's a bit of an adversity that they face but they faced a lot of adversity with a busy schedule. They come out on top in the Atlantic Division with a possible clincher tonight against Tampa Bay, a team that they've overpassed in the last few days, and they've had Tampa's number on the season, so it bodes very well for the Bruins right now. They may actually get a chance to rest some guys this week if they pull off that win and Tampa uh, loses a point the rest of the way, so we'll be watching for that too. But a big difference maker down the stretch has been the play of Tuka Rask, AJ. He's been the best goalie in this division by far over the past month out dueling Anderson and Vasilevsky by a really significant margin we'll get it we can get into those numbers too a little bit later if you want up front uh, Nash is still uh, Rick Nash is still out with an upper body injury that's got to be a bit of a concern here they brought him in to be a difference maker on their top uh, lines and he's got to he's got to be healthy but he hasn't been for a while so that's a bit of a concern and on D on the defense they've got further issues with youngsters McAvoy and Carlo uh, the latter of whom may have suffered a broken bone in his leg on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, you talked about Rask's numbers, and, and they're just too good not to kind of highlight them. Uh, hasn't lost a game in regulation since February 24th. That was the last time he had a regulation loss. Has just one overtime loss over that stretch, so a 10-0-1 record. Now the goals against average has creeped up a little bit. There were a couple games uh, especially early in this kind of stretch that he got bailed out on. Uh, he gave up four goals on three occasions, plus a five goal outing. That was the one overtime loss. So his goals against average over this stretch is 2.53, uh, which is a little high, but just two goals or less allowed in his last four wins. Uh, so he's starting to turn it on, not relying on the offense quite as much as he was for a little bit there. Um, but that just goes to show how dangerous this team is that they can, uh, you know, the goaltender can give up four goals and they can still walk away with the win. Uh, and I think you could potentially see a high scoring game, uh, you know, Boston, Tampa, uh, Vasilevsky struggled a little bit lately. Uh, if Rask isn't, uh, you know, perfect on the night, you could see a, you know, a shootout game here, which is a little surprising when you talk about these teams earlier in the year, uh, when both these guys were definitively shut down guys. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that game shapes out. Could go either way. Could be a landslide one way or the other could be a shootout. Could be a goaltender match. I mean, this one's really kind of hard to predict uh, where it's going to go. And it's so important. Easily the game of the night when we get into the schedule for tonight's DFS picks. Uh, we're also going to talk about some teams that have four games this week. One of the teams is Buffalo. Of course, they burned one last night in Toronto in, in a, a lopsided loss. But Jack Eichel's one guy who's taken advantage of that flurry of activity and a busy schedule for the Sabres. He picked up eight points in three games prior to last night's game. It was blank last evening, though. And uh, Zemgis Gergensen, a first-round pick in 2012, is playing alongside him on that first line and getting a, a good look there and some productivity as well. So uh, the sidekick theory kicks in for me here. Keep an eye on on uh, some of the guys that are playing with some of the big stars who are hot right now. Gergensen's is in that mix. On defense, Aristolainen uh, is uh, qualified for his third straight 
he's on almost on the third straight 40-point season. That's pretty good uh, sledding for a guy who's playing on a team that's in rebuilding mode. Just tells you what kind of a quality guy he is in terms of power play quarterback and a puck mover uh, on defense with a lot of offensive upside. They also brought in another, another youngster with an offensive upside in Casey Middlestad. I know you like to talk about the rookies and the AHL types who make a big splash, but this guy's hard to avoid because he was their first pick in 2017 already had two points in his uh, in his uh, first few games so he's a top rookie here and he's going to be a big factor I think in the top six next season yeah it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out you know you've got middle stat competing uh, and to your point could very well be in a top six spot but that means Ryan O'Reilly has to go somewhere uh, I, I don't think third line is something that he might be interested in having played you know, top six for a while. So how this all shakes out next season will be really interesting to watch. Obviously, Jack Eichel being the the third center here in the mix. Uh, And it gives them a pretty strong, uh, you know, center uh, section here. Now, they're a little bit young. Eichel has his moments where he seems to really struggle, um, but overall still remains a a top player. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, on the on the back end, Robin Lerner's dealing with an injury. Linus Olmark, who they brought in to kind of get an extra look at, is dealing with an injury as well. Uh, and so Chad Johnson's kind of getting a chance to make his case here about whether or not he should be back next season or at least audition with another team. Uh, unfortunately, he hasn't done well in that audition, given up nine goals in his last two games. Uh, now, granted, against teams away against Nashville and away against your Maple Leafs. Uh, A lot of teams have gotten shelled uh, uh, in those two uh, situations. So, uh, you know, not not a huge knock on him, but I think he could do better uh, and could have, you know, put himself in a better position. To clarify my point on Middlestad, I'll say, AJ, that I think he could be brought in just in a similar way as a guy like Mitch Marner. You mentioned the Leafs. Mitch was a center primarily in junior and uh, Casey Middlestad also as well. But they both uh, uh, could get a, uh, certainly the Leaf player got a good look on the wing and that's where he's been playing since then. And I wonder if they would give uh, Middlestad some insulation by playing one of, with one of the two stars on that top six situation. He's too good a scorer, though, to drop down to a third line role. And that was really my point. In terms of Calgary Flames, this is a team that's clearly playing out the string. They've got a whole host of injuries. Monaghan's out up front. Brody and Hamannick out on defense. Johnny Gaudreau is back in the lineup, uh, but uh, there are three other top forwards missing here. So not really much to hang your hat on in terms of DFS play. I don't think I'd go there, even though Gaudreau is one of the top scorers in the league. He's just like a helicopter out there with no uh, wings, no support uh, in terms of the offense. And I just don't think that's a smart play in terms of DFS action the rest of the way in Calgary. Well, with those defensive uh, players out, you know, I wouldn't use the netminder here either. Uh, Smith is too. You were waiting to say that. I knew. (laughs) I knew I left that alone. That was too easy. A layup. (laughs) Uh, Smith is two six and zero in his last eight games with a three point four four goals against average, a point eight eight save percentage. Uh, So, been some pretty bad outings there for him. Uh, You know, in one he gave up three goals on eleven shots faced. Uh, that was against the Ducks, uh, another really bad one. But I will, I will give you a little bit of credit here. It's not all on Mike Smith with those Amen. D-men out. Um, <laughs> certainly without a guy like Travis Hamannick, TJ Brody, uh, it's going to be hard to, to s- limit the number of shots. Uh, and they're, they're kind of struggling for, for who to fill in there. 
Uh, and that's the same that we're seeing on the forward lines to your, to your point, Monahan's out Versteegh is out, uh, to Chuck is out as well. And so really, as you said, Gaudreau really on an Island and nobody, uh, you know, no qualified, uh, solid guys to play with right now. In Carolina, this is another team that kind of faded down the stretch. They had three games this week, and as noted last week, Pesci and Rask, two of their key guys, one on offense, one on defense, are done for the year and rank among the top disappointments here, actually. Uh, Other players who have been notable for me, Brock McGinn is on the brink of a 30-point season and finishing as a first-line left winger in his third season. This is a third year is a year where people start to show their true colors, and I see an offensive upside in him that makes me think that he could challenge for a top-six role next season as well. So if you're in a keeper league, I think I might hold on to a guy like that. As well, I would mention Elias Lindholm, still only 22 years old, is finishing up his fifth season as a pro, and uh, he's averaged 40 points in his last four campaigns, so a pretty good trajectory there for another guy who factors into the top six mix. And uh, we've been talking about the goalie situation here. It'll finish up with Cam Ward's goals against four-tenths of a puck better than uh, his partner, Darling, who uh, they've pretty much split the role here, but Darling came in as a highly touted guy who was going to take over the role. He really didn't, and that makes me wonder. There's a big question mark in the goalie situation here, and you better get it right if you're banking on one of these two guys next season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not just a question for fantasy owners. It's a question for Carolina fans, uh, for the front office, you know, what to do, uh, between the pipes, you've got all that money wrapped up in darling, but you know, you also have to know when, when to, you know, cut bait. And if it's not going to work out, uh, find a way to move him, figure something out, uh, you know, to let Ward walk and go all in on darling, when it's not looking great for him might be, you know, something that sinks the franchise for another couple of years here. They were close at one point uh, to potentially having a playoff spot. Uh, and as far as guys that have really, you know, performed well this season, Tivo Teravainen has been phenomenal. Uh, when he left Chicago, had 35 points that in his uh, last season with the Blackhawks, that was definitely a question mark. Did he earn these points just by playing with, you know, guys like Kane and Taves? Uh, and he responded with 42 points in his first season with Carolina, 62 this year, his first tw- uh, 20 plus goal campaign this season. Now a little struggle down the stretch has just one point in his last six games, uh, you know, which is a little bit of a concern for me. Is he kind of packing it in on the season? Uh, it, it's certainly a question worth asking at this point. He's got a couple games left here to get out of this funk and maybe end on a strong note. But overall, a great season by him and definitely a player to to target uh, moving forward. Well, and uh, we saw the air coming out of the Chicago balloon earlier this season, AJ, in our preseason picks, actually. You and I both both got this one right. Uh, They're playing out the string in a campaign that's going to see an end to a 10-year dominant stretch. the guy at the center of this up front, Jonathan Taves, is out with an upper body injury, though he resumed skating. But there's a lot of doubt around him, and, and I think an unnecessary t- return from the IR uh, this late stage of the season. I say, why not shut the guy down and let him get ready for next season after a lot of travel miles on him as well. Uh, younger guy with a similar status is Anthony Duclair. He had uh, uh, some good moments here and uh, I think has been a good citizen contrary to what uh, the early trajectory of his career was like. So I'm kind of curious what he might give them next season and he could be the centerpiece to what they do in the next several years. So uh, I hope that he gets gets it right.
great and uh, shows the skill that he has because he's an uber talented young man another youngster to keep an eye on is dylan sakura i'll steal your thunder a little bit aj by <laughs> by telling our listeners he was a top scorer at northeastern university and incidentally a boy who grew up just north of where i live here in uh, a town just north of the toronto city limits he has two points in his first two games as a right wing on the third line here and it could be another piece uh, that they build around going forward well, I don't have as much optimism about Duclair uh, as you seem to there, or or at least maybe maybe optimism is not the right word. Maybe hope uh, in him being able to turn it around. Uh, I'm not as, essentially uh, as hopeful. Prior to getting hurt, a 14-game goalless streak had just three helpers over that stretch and just 16 shots on goal. So you know that's barely over one a game. Uh, unsurprisingly, his ice time over that stretch was right around 12 minutes. Uh, was still getting a look on the power play. So they're trying to give him opportunities. And I'm just not sure that he's capable of repeating that 2015-16 campaign when he put up 40 points. I'm thinking at this point, that's looking more like an anomaly uh, rather than the rule for him going forward. So obvious concerns there. Uh, You know, the back end is what obviously sank this team more than anything else, in my opinion. Corey Crawford being out for as long as he has there, uh, he is going to be shut down. They're not going to bring him back, uh, you know, with nothing on the line coming back from that concussion. Now where it is, everything is trending in the right direction for him to be ready for next season. They're not concerned about long-term impacts here. Um, but certainly as we've seen with a couple other guys, you know, concussions to goaltenders seem to start to pile up one, becomes two becomes three and these absences get a little bit longer we saw that with Marc Andre Fleury uh you know he's dealt with a number of concussions over the years and he was out for a significant chunk of time this year because of one so while the organization doesn't have any concerns he'll be ready for the start of the season I'm starting to have concerns about his long-term durability given the length uh of time that he's missed with this one another concussion could be longer uh, and more impactful in Colorado we've certainly talked about their number one center quite a bit uh, Nathan McKinnon having a fabulous year but the, there's a merry-go-round in terms of the second third and fourth centers AJJ D Comfer has blown his recent opportunity and has been demoted to a fourth line they're going to go back to Tyson Yost and uh, Carl Soderberg ahead of him in the mix both of those guys have had nice runs at periods in the season but there's really no stability at this position nothing that they can hang their hat on going forward so it's going to be in flux and it behooves our listeners to keep an eye on who we think is going to be in that second role because they'll be playing with the better wingers and right now it looks like it's going to be Yost uh, going forward in terms of the goaltending Jonathan Bernier is back as the top goalie option and Varlamov back on the IR it just seems they can't get both of these guys healthy at any one time and a young youngster Andrew Hammond has been called up to be a backup they're still one point up on St. Louis, who the Blues have a game in hand, so some shuffling in the standings is going to be happening there over the last few games. But a tough blow for Colorado on the blue line with Eric Johnson sustaining a knee injury, and he could be lost for over a month at least, and that could pooch him for the entire playoffs effectively. Nemeth is a strong defensive D-man with a team height plus 25, and he moves into the second D pairing with Samuel Girard. So that's something to keep an eye on. Girard has been one of their key offensive hopes on the blue line, and, and maybe with some insulation on the back end with Nemeth, he gets a chance to uh, strut his offensive stuff a little bit more freely. 
Well, and the injury to, to Varlamov could could sink them to the point where Eric Johnson, uh, a return for him, is looking at training camp next year. Right. Uh, they may not make the playoffs at that point. So uh, his injury becomes kind of, you know, uh, a non-factor there. Uh, one guy that they do have back from injury that's been performing well is uh, Andrew Ghetto. Uh, he had two goals in his return, had an assist uh, last night. So three points in his last three games. He's getting plenty of power play time uh, as well, uh, just under two minutes per game uh, over that stretch there. So uh, not afraid to shoot the puck. Uh, definitely an offensive contributor. And this is who that second line center is going to play with. Uh, and so I think to your point, you really need to keep an eye on that position. You know, on the other side, it, it looks like Kerfoot could be Como periodically. But for the most part, uh, you know, Andrew Ghetto and Kerfoot, Whoever gets that middle assignment, to your point, is going to be the guy uh, that should come in pretty cheap in daily contests, too, uh, and might be worth taking a look at. Fans of teams in the Metro Division have to be having an eye on what's going on in Columbus, AJ. I know you're watching that closely, and you know that Sergei Bobrovsky's turned it on again. He's only allowed 19 goals in his last 10 games. I'm a bit surprised uh, that their veteran D-man Jack Johnson has been a healthy scratch, though, for the last five games. You would think that at this time of year, a veteran with uh, his uh, resume uh, is a guy they count on, but he's just not delivering, and and that's why he's on the sidelines looking in. Another guy who uh, I thought the opposite would be true is loving life out there, and that's Thomas Vanek here. 14 points in his last 12 games, really fitting in as a top-six guy, locking down the second right wing slot and second power play roles as well and you know a little bit about a defenseman Ian Cole he's assumed second pairing D role of late and I wonder if he's providing intelligence for a possible matchup against your Pittsburgh Penguins (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I it's certainly uh something if if I'm the the Columbus uh coaching staff I'm definitely picking his brain for as much information as I can get uh, heading into that one. You know, this is this is uh, Tortorella's style as far as the Jack Johnson benching goes. We saw him uh, sit Brandon Dubinsky for a couple games. Uh, if you're not performing, uh, he's not going to pull any punches here. And, you know, I, I think it's it's something to keep, you know, really keep an eye on. And we talked about Thomas Vanek potentially not fitting in uh, really well with that type of coaching style. Now, fortunately, it has uh, worked out for them so far. 14 points in 16 games, a plus 13 rating. Uh, that's the highest plus minus of his uh, since, you know, early in his career when he was, uh, you know, back with uh, Buffalo uh, very early on. 06, 07 is the last time he had a plus minus anywhere near a plus 13. So um, playing two-way hockey seemingly and, and responding well. Um, but Tortorella is not one to suffer fools or guys who have defensive laps. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your pedigree is. So uh, I'm not surprised to see Jack Johnson get health, uh, get scratched there. I wasn't surprised to see Dubinsky get scratched either. Uh, if you're not performing well, you are going to end up in the press box uh, with John Tortorella running the bench. And uh, I wonder if the same thing is true in Dallas with the underperformers. But you got to give credit to one Radic Faxa. He's finally held on to a, a second line uh, center role. That was also in flux for much of the season. He held off uh, Jason Spezza. I'll talk about him in a sec. But, but uh, Fax has scored well and showed a good two-way game with a team-high plus 22 on the season. That's kind of the profile of a guy that you'd like in that second-line uh, second role behind the top guys they have on the number one unit. And I also like the fact now that Mark Mathot's paired with 
John Klingberg leaving uh, Essa Lindell, though, and a lesser scoring opportunity on the second pair. That certainly lowers his DFS value as well, since he's only playing with low-scoring Julius Honka instead of one of the highest point-getters in the NHL among blue liners. As far as Jason Spezza goes, he's struggled in a second straight big declining scoring season and has one more year at a $7.5 million hit that looks like a big anchor here next year. Well, I think what's interesting for me is that uh, Ken Hitchcock has pretty much said until, uh, you know, until Bishop can get back, he's going to ride Kerry Lettinen, which I find interesting that they wouldn't give uh, their current backup call up Mike McKenna at least a look or a game here. Uh, and the reason that that surprises me is that they're, I mean, I guess they're not totally out of it yet. Uh, they could, uh, maybe by some sort of miracle, uh, get into the playoffs. They could reach, uh, looking at it, they could reach 94 points, which technically would potentially get them a wild card spot. Uh, I find that highly unlikely. And so I'm a little surprised that they're going to, uh, you know, use exclusively a veteran, a, a known quantity, uh, rather than give Mike McKenna a look. It's a, it's a very interesting decision to me. Definitely not one that I agree with, uh, at this point in the season when there's not much to play for, I think it's a great time to bring in guys and, and see what they have to offer. You know, I talked last week about the, the guys signing entry-level contracts. And while yes, you might burn a year of those contracts to get a guy, uh, with the organization for two weeks, kind of see what he can do, uh, you know, see how he responds to the level of competition, I think is a good challenge. And so uh, I actually would like to see them go with Mike McKenna here, but it sounds like uh, Hitchcock is pretty firm in sticking with Kerry Lettinen uh, as a netminder the rest of the way. And in Detroit, another non-playoff team that's pretty obvious, the Red Wings floundering for the second straight season in a bit of a rebuild circumstance, a big rebuild circumstance. One of the guys that probably should be moving on here is Mike Green. He produced 33 points and a minus 14 with an average of 22 minutes a game. Showing he could handle the workload, but still only played 66 games in a pending UFA. I wonder if a top team will take a shot at him next year. Uh, he seem, seems to me that he'd be a more useful in that circumstance re- rather than a placeholder on a big deal uh, in a lesser uh, circumstance like a non-playoff team. He's going to finish the season on the IR this season, though. Uh, another guy that I want to highlight is kind of a Brian Rafalski clone and Joe Hicketts, a five foot eight defenseman. He could be a candidate for bigger minutes on the blue line after scoring three points and showing a decent all-around game in his first four starts in the NHL. I wonder if you know anything more about him or want to talk about any other wings here. Uh, for me, the guy that seems to be uh, trying to work his way you know, through a little bit of a slump and end the season strong here is Anthony Mantha. He's got three points in his last two games, has looked a lot better than he has for much of the season. Uh, now they're giving him plenty of time on the power play, uh, averaging 447 uh, of uh, ice time with a man advantage in the last two games. That's a huge amount of power play time. Uh, and so, you know, to give him a little bit of a, an extra look here, let him kind of work through some stuff. He had been in a pretty lengthy uh, slump here prior to these last two games. He went 11 games without a goal, had just two assists over that stretch. Uh, and so I, again, here, I like the idea of giving him more responsibility, uh, a bigger role and kind of letting him finish the season strong. And, and hopefully uh, it, you know, turns into good things for them heading into, you know, 18, 19. 
And boy, you want to talk about an Edmonton Oilers club that disappointed this season. Uh, Oscar Kleffbaum is now out for the year with a shoulder injury. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, day to day, he didn't play last night, I noticed. So for me, in terms of DFS, it's McDavid or nothing else for me this week here. Uh, Darnell Nurse, certainly you've got to talk about him taking a big step forward to improve his two-way game. The numbers across the board are better for him despite a troubling season here. And really, the guy that bore the brunt of his Cam Talbot, AJ, he needs to flush this season and make good on the final year of his contract next year, or he might be having trouble shopping his, his wares around the league if he uh, duplicates the, the downturn that he took this particular season. Absolutely. Yeah, Cam Talbot just simply wasn't good enough, and I don't know if it's, uh, you know, call it a, a hangover effect from him having played 73 games the year before. Uh, you would think maybe that would only affect you at the start of the season, but a couple bad outings at the start of the year maybe gets in his head uh, and kind of breeds more bad, you know, more bad uh, showings. And so, yeah, I agree. I think he needs to basically forget that this season ever even happened uh, and and try and just focus on where he was before and get back to being that netminder. Uh, I think I still at at a decent price. I think I still look at Ty Ratty. Uh, I know he hasn't had any points in his last four games. His shots on goal has still been there for the most part, nine shots in those last four games. Uh, and so I think I still give him a look. He's getting power play time as well. The fact that he's playing on that top line with McDavid, uh, it's really his price tag here for me that's going to make him worthwhile. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of other guys playing top line minutes are going to come at a, a pretty significant cost, especially, you know, in, you know, on FanDuel, on DraftKings. And so I think, you know, to take a flyer on a guy like this that hasn't been performing well, it's going to be a low ownership guy, uh, might give you a better opportunity and you're not going to have to pay up for him. If, if his price tag was higher, I would agree, avoid everybody but McDavid. But for, for the low cost, Ty Ratty is one other option for me. Only because he's on his wing and that's the sidekick theory. Exactly. In, uh, in Florida, this is a team that had the busiest slate this season along with Boston, this week along with Boston. So if you have uh, weekly set uh, rosters you got to set up, I would have gone heavily on Boston and Florida this week. They uh, let they could be on the fringe of uh, playoff elimination, though, and that's kind of tough for them. Third liners, Malgan and Vetrano, are both on the day-to-day list here after being good producers over the past few weeks so their depth really took a hit there the top line has got most of the ink but I want to highlight the fact that Vinny Trocek has had a really good year as a second line center putting up 71 points in 77 games played when we highlighted this team at the beginning of the season we were wondering where the offense was going to come beyond this first unit and you got to give Trocek a lot of the credit for providing some great secondary scoring all season long well, and one guy who didn't pan out here is Redeem Vibrata. Uh, hasn't played uh, since March 8th, has you know just been sitting up in the press box watching. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, how well Vitrano has done. Uh, it looks like he'll be back in action. Uh, it looks like he actually returned to action last night, okay. uh, so missed just one game. Now, he hasn't uh, scored a lot lately, actually, at all has zero points in his last six games, but came in uh, really hot when he first joined up with the team. Right. And, and he's a lot younger, obviously, than, than Vibrata. So I think they'll let him kind of work through uh, whatever slump he might be in right now. And I, I do think uh, it may be uh, the end of the road for Vibrata at the end of the season. We'll, we'll see if he ends up somewhere else 
or if he comes back for another year. But but I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him hang him up at this point. In L.A., they've suffered a bit of a tough injury down the stretch. Jake Muzzin's upper body hurt will keep him out for a few weeks, and that's troubling because the playoffs start next week, as we've highlighted. Derek Forbert's a guy that's going to step up in his place. He's another guy like Muzzin who hits and blocks shots a lot. It's a real luxury for a team to have more than one of these guys, but Forbert doesn't have the offensive upside here, and that's, that constitutes a big loss on the blue line. In terms of some roster shuffling up front, uh, Pearson had moved to the first line left wing, and Reeder now is on the Jeff Carter's line as the second left wing. He's got to get some scoring going there. Otherwise, he could drop even further, in my opinion. Well, we've talked about this before, but it's it's been very apparent with the Kings of late. I, I really don't like the constant uh, lineup shuffling here. Now, some of it has to do with injuries. Alex Iafalo, uh is day-to-day right now. Uh, so that obviously contributes, but I just can't get behind the constant changing of line mates here. I think it doesn't allow you to build any chemistry. Now, obviously there's times when it warrants it, uh, injuries, obviously being the case guys really struggling, uh, maybe switching up, you know, what, uh, what they do there. There, there are times that calls for it, but it seems to me like every night, there's a different set of wings playing with Kopitar and Carter, and I just don't think it's good for anybody. Uh, this team is probably going to make the playoffs here, but I don't expect them to get much, maybe the first season series, uh, but they definitely won't get past the second series, in my opinion, and this has a lot to do with it. In Minnesota, this is a team that has four games uh, this week, and uh, they're going to have to deal with, uh, with them without Ryan Ellis. It looks like he broke his leg, uh, and uh, that's a huge loss on the blue line here, one of the top minute eaters in the league. Olafson is likely to come back uh, after his injury to take some of these minutes from that excess that exists now. In goal, Devin Dubnik has been playing really well, limiting all opponents to 12 goals against in his last six starts. Uh, the third line looks a bit different with veteran Tyler Ennis replacing, uh, re- replaced by a recent call-up Jordan Greenway here. So some movement here. I think I got the name wrong. It's Ryan Suter on the blue line, didn't I? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ryan Ellis uh, yeah. playing with Nashville right. still, although Minnesota would love to have him right now. <laughs> uh, and it's part of that, too, uh, uh, Jared Spurgeon, also dealing with an injury as well, uh, is not going to travel with the team here, but could uh, link up with them later down the road after their game on Thursday. Uh, I, I think you're looking at a team, uh, you know, I was kind of making a joke at your expense here, Paul, but uh, having another defenseman here would really help. Uh, they've got some untested guy in, in Nick Sealer and Carson Sousey, uh that are going to have to play minutes for them right now. And, and it's not what you want heading into the playoffs to, to suddenly uh, rely on guys that haven't really played much for you. And so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, if they can get Spurgeon back, uh, that'll definitely help. Uh, but I think they're really thin and losing your top D pairing is is not something that uh, most, if any, teams can really weather uh, that type of storm. And in Montreal, look, I got to be honest, I'm surprised they brought Carey Price back at all from his recent injury woes. He did return to the lineup and after a pair of bad outings, allowed only four goals over his last two starts, shaking off a lot of rust. But I don't really know why. Maybe just to get him feeling comfortable about the fact that he did get some reps in before the season ended. Up front, Charles Houdon joined uh, a lengthy injury list. 
and is now out for the remaining games as well. Another guy that saw an increase in playing time as a result of these changes is Daniel Carr. And, you know, I've seen enough of this guy to realize that they, uh, they might have something of a Brendan Gallagher clone here. And uh, that's a good thing in Montreal. It seems like, again, they're going for, uh, they've included a number of smallish type forwards, but Gallagher's had an outstanding season and really is one of the better super pests in the league that plays a gritty two-way game. And Daniel Carr looks like he's patterning himself along the same lines. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on your call here with Carey Price. I mean, they talked about the fact that he's, you know, not going to go play in Worlds, uh, you know, and he, he cited, you know, wanting to spend time with his family. But you have to wonder if he's a little banged up uh, as well. And this is a team you, you want to talk about a team that I would avoid. Uh, you know, I wouldn't touch them with a 10 foot pole right now. <laughs> There's nobody uh, that I would utilize with one exception, uh, if Carey Price plays against Detroit, uh, that's one of their last three games. Maybe I use him there, uh, but you're looking at matchups with Winnipeg, Detroit, and Toronto, uh, and so it's it's not uh, you know Detroit's actually been playing really well lately. Their last couple of games, it, it's been uh, not really for much more than pride, but. Uh, they have been doing well. And so this is a team I generally avoid entirely uh, have to question why the coaching staff felt to put Antti Niemi against the Penguins again. Uh, he didn't do well last time. He gave up four and didn't do well again. This time he gave up five. Uh, I, I guess they're trying to give him a revenge game, but uh, it, it looks to me like they just hung him out to dry in both those outings. <laughs> in Nashville, they need one win to clinch the top seed in the conference. With Johansson and Torres both producing six points in their last eight games, the Preds finally have both centers pro- uh, playing well at the same time. It's been one or the other for much of the season, and yet they've still been one of the top teams in the league. That just tells you all the depth they have on the wings and on the blue line. Colton Sissons has overtaken uh, Ryan Hartman for the second right wing role. That's an interesting development. It could be a significant one in the playoffs where I don't look any lower than a second line player or a second tier defense, second pairing defenseman. Colton Sissons could be a real dark horse here for a team that I think could go very far in the postseason. Absolutely. And, and one guy, you know, heading, uh, I wouldn't suggest using him in your playoff pools by any means, but in the last few games here, uh, you might see UC Saros get a start or two uh, down the stretch here. And he's been really good of late. Uh, you look at his last, uh, last three outings has a, a 2.19 goals against average uh, in those contests, 0.937 save percentage. So He's looking really good. Uh, they've given Pekka Rene some rest. They might do a little bit more of that. Uh, and so he'll save you a ton of money uh, by using him, uh, you know, depending on the matchup. You have to really key in on that. I know he's been doing well. I know the whole team has been performing well. Um, but if he's going up against one of the you know, better teams in the league, maybe not the best time to use him. But overall, uh, a guy that might add uh, some fantasy assistance here, you know, down, down the stretch. And, you know, this, this has to be one of the deeper clubs in, in the league, in my opinion, overall at, at almost every position. Uh, you know, I would argue that they don't have a signature, uh, you know, next like signature generational player. Like you have, you know, Pittsburgh's got Crosby and Malkin, uh, Toronto's got Austin Matthews, uh, Washington's got Alexander Ovechkin, Mar- uh, Marshawn yeah. Bergeron in Boston. Uh, you know, Johansson can kind of slide into that Kyle Turris a little, but I think what makes this club so good is the depth, not necessarily having that one big name guy. 
That's a great uh, an analysis there. I agree completely on that. The New Jersey Devils, when they made the trade to get Patrick Maroon, I was hoping they'd get him on the top line, and they have done so of late, putting him with Heischer and Hall in the top unit. His size will insulate these guys, and he's got the skill that will complement him. And like I said, when the trade was made, he's been in this role twice elsewhere and had success uh, in Anaheim and Edmonton, so I really love this move. Uh, elsewhere on this roster, Mirko Muller has been elevated to a top four role on defense and has responded with two points and a plus three in his last five games. That's positive news for a team that could use some more scoring and stability on the back end there. Yeah, it's another team that does really well with a lot of depth here. Uh, you know, they're they're close to getting Marcus Johansson back. Uh, he was taken off IR, right. uh, didn't play Sunday, but they should hopefully have him back here uh, soon. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, good things here on this team. I mean, to the point where uh, Drew Stafford was supposed to be a major contributor for them this year. Uh, potentially a top six guy. He hasn't even been playing lately. Uh, and that's partially because some young guys have stepped up. But to your point, bringing in Patrick Maroon obviously factored into that as well. Uh, and I, I think this is another really deep team that's got a lot of good things going for them. Uh, and, and they're a dangerous matchup as well. Uh, New York Islanders with three games left. Josh Bailey, their first line right winger all year, is now out with an upper body injury. That has to smart in terms of DFS options. Jordan Eberle and Fritz will take on bigger minutes in the depleted right wing there. So uh, look for them. They got up uh, bumps because of uh, Bailey's uh, exit. So you've, you'll see that the rest of the way, I think. I also expect Matthew Barzell and Brock Nelson to be their top two centers next year. Yes, that means that I don't expect John Tavares to return. That's going to be the big story of the offseason. Uh, he's as good as gone, in my opinion, but they do have these two guys to fall up, fall back on, so not a terrible circumstance overall, uh, unless you really think that Tavares uh, could revitalize this franchise. It's It's gone south with him. I, I don't know what else you can expect here. It's it, they got a massive rebuild to do, and the best indicator here is look at a guy like Nick Letty. 42 points, sure, that's great offensively. He's their top-scoring defenseman, but a minus 43? That's ridiculous. Yeah, there's some serious concerns on on the blue line here. Uh, they tried to bolster it a little by bringing in Brandon Davidson, uh, but there there needs to be some wholesale changes here to try and get that better. Uh, you know, these netminders have been uh, just under fire all season long, uh, regardless of who it is, Halak, Grice, even Gibson, uh, and that's made their jobs that much harder. It's it's not easy to be an NHL netminder, but when you're facing as much rubber as these guys have. Uh, it gets even harder. Uh, I kind of agree with you, Paul. I'm, I'm not convinced John Tavares is going to be back. Um, you know, I think there's a number of teams that can make uh, significant offers financially uh, and can offer better situations uh, as far as, you know, building pieces around him. I just don't know that Tavares wants to sit here for, you know, his entire career as part of a ongoing continuous rebuild. Uh, and I think they'd be better off to try and, you know, uh, move on from that and get, uh, you know, start fresh and use some of the guys that you highlighted. Uh, you know, they've, they've got a bunch of cap in, uh, Vancouver next year. So maybe, uh, maybe that's a landing spot. Uh, I know Toronto's been on the list there as well. Uh, there's plenty of places that could make uh, a strong pitch both financially, uh, and with the all around team. 
In New York, the Rangers are in audition mode. I want to talk about a couple of guys that have been featured of late. Uh, Philip Cheidel, a big young center, has two points in his six games so far. Leas Anderson, two points in his first four games in his recent call-up. This is a clear glimpse of the future here, and the early returns are somewhat encouraging, I'll say. On defense, I highlighted Neil Pionk. He's cooled off, though, in the last four games, but still 14 points in 25 games played. Not too bad in terms of a debut in a tough division. So fans will have to be realistic here and patient. That uh, this this is going to take a while because there's a lot of big uh, big teams here that'll flex their shoulders and make make their uh, uh, competition for the Rangers very tough in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bright side is they have some pieces to build around. Uh, you know, to try and rework everything. Uh, Matt Zuccarella is one uh, for sure that I think will be part of of the future here now. Uh, in the immediate issue, he's uh, getting an MRI done for for uh, a block shot. Uh, may not be able to play, in my opinion, with nothing on the line. There's no reason to play him. Uh, might as well just shut him down here and, and not risk it. Uh, and that'll give you a chance to get a look at more of these young guys. You know, they they've done that a little bit. Jasper Fast is expected to be done for the year as well. Uh, and I think it'll allow you to test out more of these youngsters, uh, especially the guys they got in some of the trades they made uh, and really get a good look. So, you know, keep an eye on that as far as daily goes, whether Zuccarella plays or doesn't. Uh, but it could open up, you know, Ryan Spooner could get a chance to play with Kreider and Zabinajad if Zuccarella doesn't go. Uh, and that makes, you know, Spooner a, a decent option as well. And in Ottawa, AJ, I wonder if you've heard about the anti-ownership billboards that have been popping up around the city. It doesn't help when news of Marion Gabrick being sidelined for the remaining games with an unknown injury and the prospect of three more years of his disappearing act at $4.875 million on the books here. Their, other, their top offensive performer on the season, Mark Stone, is not likely to play the remaining ga- schedule and will have missed a total of 15 games to finish the season. And uh, did you notice that Eric Carlson picked the puck out of the net at the end of the game last night, the last home game in Ottawa? I think he knows it, and the rest of the hockey world will find out he's as good as gone in the, in the, the Canadian capital. Yeah, I definitely agree there. I think uh, they'll, they'll move on from him and, uh, you know, find uh, some other options here. Uh, I just think, you know, there's, this is another situation where there's not a ton to be optimistic here. You know, Mike Condon was, we talked about it last week. He was kind of supposed to be the heir apparent. That hasn't really worked out. Craig Anderson is really struggling. Uh, and some of their other guys, you know, Duchesne's not locked in long-term with this club either. Uh, you know, so you have to kind of consider getting both those guys. Uh, I, I think that would be your best bet if you're trying to keep Carlson is to, you know, kind of lock him in, uh, with, you know, with Duchesne and say, Hey, we're, you know, trying to build around both of you. We are in a win now situation and, and try and make a case that way. But I think these two guys are linked in that sense, uh, I, I think if you don't get one, you may not get the other. In Philadelphia, Peter Mrazek is the, healthy of the healthiest of three goalies here, but uh, he's been decent. But the better news is that the club has been really cutting down the shots allowed in recent games, and that's going to help make any goalie look better than they had for much of the season in Philly, uh, with the exception of a game versus Boston on the weekend, which they wound up winning anyway in a shootout. Travis Hanheim has been a top-four defender of late, collecting four points and a plus-six in his last nine games. That's one area where they really beefed up on the season in Philadelphia on the blue line, and they 
they really have improved the mobility with the mobility of that group as a whole. Up front, Nolan Patrick has been a more productive center over the past eight weeks. So I consider his growth more than I consider his modest scoring totals. If you're looking at the whole body of work, doesn't look as imp- as as impressive as what he's done in the last uh, two months. I'll say. He's a good one, and if you have a chance to hold on to him in dynasty leagues, you won't be disappointed. I think he's going to blossom in Philadelphia. Well, to to expand on the goaltending situation here, clearly they were concerned about whether or not they could hold on to that wild card spot because I think they rushed Michael Newberth back. Uh, He played uh, just uh, about half of the game against Colorado, uh, faced 11 shots, and then quickly left uh, during the second period and, and headed down and now is considered day to day. It looks like it's the same injury that was bothering him before. And I, I think they were just worried that uh, Mrazic's kind of recent struggle uh, might end them out of the playoffs. And I think it speaks to the serious question marks that they have in goal here. Uh, you know, Mrazic uh, has his ups and downs, has, you know, really lacks consistency. I think that's the biggest problem with his game overall, Brian Elliott is still out. And, you know, so they have uh, some big holes to fill, not only for the postseason here, uh, but looking into the future. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, I, they're obviously not going to keep all three guys. They're not going to keep New Verth, Mrazic, and Brian Elliott. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. In Pittsburgh, I'm going to be curious to see what happens. They only have two games this last week of the season. They have no shot at the division title with Washington clinching o- over them last week. But they have to protect their second seed, I think. Uh, so the foot still has to be on the gas, and that means no rest for the top six guys here. It appears as though the Pens have settled on Gunsel and Rust to flank Crosby down the stretch, and that's possibly more about the stability of the second and third lines. They don't want to mess around with that, and they figure Sydney could play with you and me and still look good, AJ. That's the story. <laughs> so I'm not worried about uh, three and four game offers for the current top line wingers in Gunsel and Rust right now. And on defense, uh, Dumoulin is emerging as a very good scoring option in the blue line. I think that's got a lot to do with him being paired with Chris Letang, and as long as he's there, he's got some value for me. Yeah, the I'm I'm not as sold on Brian Dumoulin as an offensive option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just you know it it seems more like an anomaly right now. He's played with Latang in in past seasons and hasn't really contributed. Now maybe they've worked with him and and kind of tweaked his game a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part he's a he's a defensive option. Uh, for me, he's high risk, high reward. Uh, you know, on on daily contests. Uh, I actually think the Derek Broussard injury uh, is going to impact this team more than even I thought it would. Uh, I, I had some serious questions about how everything was was working on that third line without him out. You've got Patrick Hornquist down there with Riley Sheehan and Connor Sheary. Uh, they're guys that can contribute in their own ways. Um, but there's no real scorer on this line. And it's not like when they had Broussard playing with Kessel. Uh, that's a dangerous third line. You know, Hornquist will get to the front of the net. Sheehan's kind of a similar player. Uh, and Connor Sheary adds a little bit of speed. Uh, but it, I have serious concerns about this third line right now. And that has me actually worried uh, about our playoff prospects here for really the first time this season. Uh, you know, we've got obviously the, the three headed monster there, uh, but they can only do so much and they need help. Uh, hockey is a team game. As we've seen in Edmonton, one guy is not going to win you a lot of games, even if he racks up a ton of points. Uh, and so 
I'm I'm honestly concerned for the first time uh, heading into a to a postseason here, and uh, don't I wish we still had Mark Andre Fleury uh, with how much Matt Murray has kind of struggled lately. In San Jose, while Joe Thornton is likely not available until the playoffs, Junis Donskoy returned to the newly configured top line and collected an assist in his first game back with over 15 minutes of playing time. So that's good news up front. I also recommend keeping an eye on wherever Thomas Hurdle is playing. I'm a big fan of this guy, and he's been moved around all over. Now he's the second line left wing next to Couture and Bodker on a unit that has lots of offensive upside. So there could be some DFS value there. Well, and you have to pay attention to what's going to happen with Mark, uh, with Evander Kane here. Uh, he's a game time call for tonight's contest. If he doesn't play, uh, they could move Hurdle up actually to the first line. Uh, they could decide they want to go stability and maybe move Melker Carlson up to a first line. He's played there periodically, uh, so that's going to be a real key uh, to building your lineups tonight. You're going to want to check back as close as you can. Uh, to line up lock and figure out who's playing with Donskoy and Pavelski uh, and how that impacts the rest of the roster. In St. Louis, they've reorganized their top three forward lines as well. You've already indicated you don't like to see that late in the season, uh, but it's happening here to the point where each of the current third liners is a former part of the top six. That speaks to the offensive depth here, and that's the good news. I want to talk about that group a bit. Uh, Vladimir Sabatka is well-suited as the center there as a very good playmaker, while Dmitry Yaskin and uh, Barbashev are quick skill guys who can fly out of the zone that's what you want out of your wingers in a quick transition game in goal also it's good news that Jake Allen has his game in order and taken complete control again over as the number one guy heading into the postseason if they get there yeah and I I did say last week that I didn't think they were going to make it um, I, I'm going to stick with that prediction overall here. Uh, the injury to Varlamov has me a little concerned that Colorado will be able to hang around uh, in that last wild card spot. But overall, I just think uh, there's there's too much lack of depth outside of those top two lines. Uh, they're really banged up on the blue line as well, which is going to expose uh, Jake Allen to to a lot more shots. And, and make it hard, you know, make it harder for him to collect some wins here. Uh, they have the game in hand over Colorado, which certainly helps as well. Um, but I, I'll stick with my prediction. I won't change it. I think St. Louis is going to find themselves outside uh, looking in come uh, playoff time. And a team that we thought was the class of the league uh, is on tr- in trouble times right now in Tampa. AJ, I already talked about Boston overtaking them. But uh, news from the infirmary is kind of what's shaky here. And Steven Stamkos has a bit of a leg injury that's pretty obvious to me. And he's trying to fight through it. But there's something going on there. He has been struggling offensively as well. And uh, a guy, another guy who's struggling, we've talked about him, is Vasilevsky. He was odds on to be the, the Vesna Trophy goalie of the first half for sure, but really struggled mightily. And that continues over the second half of the season. They have a last chance to maintain their first place hopes. They've got to beat Boston tonight. Otherwise, it's pretty much over. And uh, they entered the postseason on a big downer uh, overall, likely to face Toronto. It's not what they expected. And you know what? I invite that opportunity for the Maple Leafs as a Toronto fan. Yeah, I I don't think it's a bad time to play Tampa Bay, uh, you know, for for your Leafs here. Uh, Unfortunately, it'd be nice, uh, especially for season ticket holders like yourself, if Toronto could have caught them uh, for that uh, for the home ice advantage there in that series. But, 
you know, the, the struggles with Vasilevsky are the key here. Uh, as you highlighted, you know, five, five and oh, in his last 10 games with a 4.13 goals against average. I mean, he hasn't been struggling. He's been downright bad. Uh, there's really no two ways about it. I just think, uh, fatigue you know that came up a couple weeks ago he talked about uh the fact that he wasn't really used to playing this many games uh and kind of tiring and i I do think fatigue is getting here at the end of the season uh with you know this boston game is crucial i think if they lose they should shut vasileski down for the last two games of the season go with domingue or budai and and try and let vasileski rest up and get ready uh, obviously if they're still in the hunt for that top spot, uh, you'd rather have that than play Toronto. But if you're, if you're stuck facing the Maple Leafs, I think you've got to shut Vasilevsky down. And in terms of Toronto, they got good news in terms of putting Leo Komarov back in the lineup. He's going to get a top line checking role that'll boost his playoff minutes too. You can bet that whoever they play in the first round is going to see, the top line is going to see a lot of Leo Komarov, maybe even Thomas Blakanics. They're both keys on the PK too, and special teams are such an important part of the postseason. So keep an eye on those two players. But uh, it's the Travis Dermott foot injury that caused a bit of a of a hiccup uh, in the past few days it looks like he avoided a serious injury and should be able to return for the postseason but in the meantime Connor Carrick and Roman Pollock will play on the third pairing to wind the season up another goalie who struggled in the month of March not getting as much ink in that regard is Freddie Anderson I've seen his play deteriorate a little bit certainly he makes the big saves but the, the overall totals are not as good as they were early in the season and I think it's a good call that they rested him for a couple of games down the stretch here as you said the Leafs have nothing to play for so it's just time to get their act together for the postseason offensively they're firing on all cylinders they have weapons everywhere and so I like that aspect of this team but it's the defensive side of the puck that will determine their success or failure in the next uh, few weeks well Paul you started off the show by you know asking how playoff races might affect uh, your DFS lineups and in Toronto I think is the the uh, key example of this uh, I think you could potentially see uh, a handful of guys here get shut down for, for a game or two here. Uh, you know, just if they're dealing with any minor bumps or bruises, uh, there's really no reason to play them right now. Uh, and so keep an eye out on that. I think uh, it's a two way street here. Obviously, uh, if they shut down, uh, for example, say they were to shut down Willie Nylander for a game, they might put Casperi Kapanen up on the top line with Austin Matthews uh, just for, you know, a little bit of consistency there. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going off any information that that's going to happen. It's just an example. Uh, and so I think you really need to pay attention to these lines uh, heading into the last few games here. And it can help you not only accident, avoid putting somebody in who doesn't play, uh, but I think it can help you find a real value guy who's going to get an expanded role. Uh, and so Toronto's a team to watch as far as building your daily lineups, in my opinion. And uh, in terms of what to watch, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in Vancouver the next couple of games because there was a surprise announcement by the Sedin twins that they're going to end their illustrious careers. They made that call on Monday morning. So the note here on Vancouver is the end to an 18-year run for the first twins in the history of hockey in, in about the last 60 years that have dominated the league. You have to go back to the New York Rangers to find that same situation in terms of brothers dominating for a team 
for that period of time. So uh, kudos to them on illustrious careers winding down this week. And they did it in typical Sedin fashion, not wanting to draw too much attention in terms of a league-wide uh, retirement tour. So they, they're exiting with the same class that they played, the quiet class that, that dominated their in- entire careers. And my hat's off to them. Yeah, absolutely. Two phenomenal uh, guys, both on and off the ice. You know, a couple interesting stories that came out yesterday. Uh, you know, they were talking to other players on the team about it, and there was some question uh, about who was going to pay for league meals or uh, uh, road meals uh, next season. It sounds like for for much of their careers, the Sedins have picked up the tab on a pretty frequent basis, uh, and there are some jokes uh, passed around about that. And so, uh, and that goes to show, you know, these are guys that know. Yeah, sure. You know, none of these guys are necessarily struggling, um, but these guys were making significantly more money than a lot of their teammates uh, and took the extra step to, to pick up, you know, uh, road meals like that, that that speaks to their uh, their class, their their awareness of, of the guys around them. Uh, and really, it's an end of an era for for both Vancouver and for the NHL as well. Uh, and it'll be sad to see uh, the Canucks without the Sedins next year. Uh, I haven't watched a whole lot of Vancouver games this year because they have been uh, a, a struggling team. But I definitely will w- want to watch uh, their last two home games here and kind of watch this send off uh, for these two guys. In Las Vegas, the news just continues to be positive. They clinched their division title in their first season. You know what? Uh, kudos to them for that. It's also worth noting that Alex Tuke has moved on to the top line, has collected points in three of his last four games, along with the added ice time. James Neal shaken off his rust owing to an injury absence and has collected three points in that same stretch in his second line right wing role. So they're just get, getting ready to cruise into the postseason here. Uh, they are still missing a few other forward pieces, but all of their mainstays are back on the blue line. And that's great news as the defensive structure has been solid in recent games. So this team is going to be a tough out in the postseason. <coughs> Well, and on the injury front, it looks like they're going to get William Carrier and Riley Smith back for the playoffs, uh, not for the rest of the regular season, but it sounds like they'll be ready for the postseason. And that gives them some dangerous wingers on their top three lines. You're looking at Tuuk, Neal, and Carrier on the right wing, March Assault, Tatar, and Smith, uh, Perron as well, if he gets healthy on the left wing. Uh, this is a dangerous team that's really put together uh, a nice combination of pieces, is working well. Uh, on on every aspect of the game and I think they could make a surprisingly deep run Uh, don't be surprised to see them in a Western Conference final in Washington uh, they're to be congratulated too for yet another division crown in goal the story is though uh, tops of the charts Philip Krubauer is in goal uh, for the clincher and he's won seven of the last eight is there a goalie controversy here I wonder he's a Grubauer's a pending RFA with a 1.5 million dollar tab he's done enough down the stretch to create a lot of interest should Washington not retain him but they have Braden Holtby who's been such a consistent player for them much of his career there but uh, he struggled in mightily in the second half of the season he has two more years at a 6.1 million dollar cap hit I've heard an interesting rumor that 
that he might be moved in the offseason. It'll be interesting to see if there's a team out there that wants to take him on, given the recent struggles. I find that hard to believe, but uh, a goalie controversy does exist in Washington. Uh, I do think there's a real good shot that Grubar could even start the postseason for them. I've been up front. I've been calling for Andre Burakovsky and Evgeny Kuznetsov to be reunited on offense. They had success last year, and it's finally happened down the stretch, and Burakovsky's responded with four points in his first five games in that group grouping, and he's looking more engaged than he has at any other point in the season. So this was a call that I thought was a long time coming, and finally to see it on the eve of the postseason is uh, is something that I think is a good new, bit of news for the Caps. Well, I think what's interesting here is, uh, yes, they clinched uh, the division. Uh, it sounds like Pittsburgh was uh, didn't really care, to be totally honest with you, based on the comments of Evgeny Malkin uh, just saying, yeah, we don't win the division, we win the cup. Uh, <laughs> kind of a little shot at his countrymen uh, there as well. Uh, but to your point, the goaltending situation is the biggest question mark. Uh, and I agree, Paul, I think it's not out of the question for Philip Grubauer to start game one of the first playoff series. Uh, he's looked really good. Uh, hope he has struggled. Uh, and I, you know, you have to go, this is a team that has to win. I mean, there's their regular season has become a, a non-factor. Nobody really cares. Nobody really talks about them until a playoff start because of what they've done or, or what they haven't done. And so they've got to do everything they can to win. Uh, everybody's on a short leash there, uh, except perhaps uh, Alex Ovechkin. He's probably the only one that could ever really consider himself safe in this club, uh, you know, without playoff success here. So uh, I think it's a good call by you. Grubauer probably starting game one. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. And finally, in Winnipeg, uh, some more good news for the Jets. Jacob Truba returned to their top defense pairing and immediately assumed his 23-minute workload. That's a very important development, which solidifies the only weakness of this team as far as I can see. It also afforded, afforded a chance to rest Dustin Bufflin last night. Uh, he is a guy who's played a ton of minutes while some of the other guys have been on the IR and in and out of the lineup on the blue line. It also gives him a chance to survive without Toby Enstrom, who was lost for the season two. That's a bit of a downer on the blue line, but still they have the likes of Myers, Morrissey, and Chirot. They have pretty good depth back there, AJ. I'm not too worried about them on the blue line. No, I absolutely... Well, it's time to give a nod to our friends at FanDuel, as we do on a weekly basis. They've been with us all year. Great support and great resource for people who play DFS action. This is a place that I go to for my DFS play every day of the season, whether it be any of the four major sports. Uh, The baseball season is upon us. It's nicely underway, AJ, and I was fairly pleased to see the Jays bounce back after splitting their opening series after dropping the first two against the mighty Yankees and not looking good against the far superior team but I give them kudos for coming back and splitting that and then they even won another game last night so they got a winning record for the first time in about the last two seasons at any point in the season I also want to think that the first few days have revealed a trend around baseball that not too many starting pitchers are yet ready to go deep into games and that's a trend that should change a bit as they get their reps but for now I'm emphasizing offense when I put together my my teams and I'm looking for the high win probability on the pitching end have you got any thoughts here AJ or are you going to give me a humorous response (laughs) no uh, I'm going to keep my baseball thoughts uh, basically to myself 
because uh, <laughs> nobody really wants my opinion on that one. Uh, for me, hockey playoffs is right around the corner. I'll start paying attention to baseball about mid-June uh, once uh, the Penguins lift the cup for the third time. <laughs> nice. Well, you know what? I want to hasten to add that Rotowire has a vast array of resources that uh, are at the disposal for any listeners here and anybody that plays DFS. I, that's my go-to site to get information on the daily lineups, who's hot and who's not, the matchups on a daily basis, and certainly the optimizer does exist for baseball picks as well and could really help uh, people like you who don't have the in-depth knowledge uh, that they need to succeed in DFS play on the baseball side. You're a hockey guy, I know that, and you've done very well in the hockey picks. Kudos to you for a great season. I've done well along those, those that way as well, and I hope our listeners have benefited. And certainly, I want to highlight the fact that over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com RW. Of course, these contests are void where prohibited. Let's get into our FanDuel DFS segment. AJ, why don't you run through tonight's uh, game schedule, the early part, and I'll take the latter. Sounds good, Paul. Uh, yeah, so for the early games, uh, we're going to start off uh, with the Rangers at the Devils at 7 o'clock. Uh, you've got New Jersey uh, has a little bit to play for here. The Rangers obviously don't. Uh, so we'll see you know, what kind of uh, impact that might have uh, on, the, on the, the game here. You've got the Flyers at the Islanders. Uh, Philadelphia is going to be trying to track down the Penguins uh, and, uh, and Columbus to try and get uh, into that matchup. So another tight race there. Uh, Red Wings at Columbus, seven o'clock for, for that other game. Again, uh, some tight races in the Metropolitan that'll really factor in. Uh, you've got Winnipeg, the Jets coming off a of back to back. They'll play Montreal. Uh, this one is kind of interesting. There's, there's not much uh, for the Jets really to play for here. They're locked in uh, in their spot uh, as second. And uh, obviously Montreal is out of the playoffs. Um, but we'll see how it shakes out. The big game of the night at 7:30, Bruins at Tampa Bay. Uh, this will be the game that everybody's watching to kind of see how that shakes out. Uh, I know you and I'll tune into that one. Uh, but uh, after that, there's still a few interesting uh, late uh, late night options that I know you want to run through. And one of them is Nashville against Florida. Uh, it looks like your call on Saros is a good one. Nashville is going to start him against Reimer for Florida. Panthers on the second of back-to-backs in that busy week. They need to get this to fan their fading playoff hopes for sure, but tough out with the visitors, the top team in the league. Then up next, we got Arizona and Calgary, two teams that are going to watch the playoffs. Antti Ranta and Mike Smith, the expected starters here for that 9 o'clock start, favoring the home side. But really, not too many eyeballs on that one. Vegas <laughs> maybe dripping in champagne after winning their their uh, division might not be in top shape against Vancouver yet. They're favored as the visitors tonight. Mark Andre Fleury expected to start for them against uh, Markstrom in goal for Vancouver for that ten o'clock start. And then finally, Dallas and San Jose. This is a game that uh, Dallas needs to get. Again, their hopes are on hanging hanging by a fingernail. Kerry Letton, you said, is going to carry the mail for them. He's expected starter. Marty Jones for the home side who has favored significantly in this one. It's time also now to put our thoughts to uh, paper here and uh, for the matter of record, AJ, you got to come up with your final regular season DFS roster on our Tuesday show. All right, so for starters, uh, I am going to go with Mark Shifley, 7,800. I know I said Winnipeg doesn't have um, much to play for, um, but that matchup with Montreal is kind of just too juicy to avoid. 
the price tag's big, but Shifley has been phenomenal of late. Uh, on the flip side, I'm going to go with Kyle Terrace, $5,500. That's pretty cheap for a second line center uh, in a game that really matters. And so I like everything uh, that he can offer there. For the wingers, I'm going to go with Pasternak uh, from Boston, 7,500. He's going to be uh, my top price tag guy. Uh, I expect uh, potentially a, a big uh, number of goals here, especially uh, if Vasilevsky continues to struggle. Uh, with him, I'm going to go Blake Wheeler, 7,200 back with that, that Winnipeg line. They've just been so good lately. Uh, and Montreal has been so bad. It's hard not to key in on them. Uh, I did want to utilize a Sedin tonight. So I'm going to use Daniel for 6,000. I think those guys are going to be motivated to have really good performances tonight. Uh, the matchup with Vegas is a tough one obviously, but, uh, they've only got a, a handful of games here left to, to show why they've been so good for so long. And so I expect big things out of him. Uh, and then for me, my kind of cheap winger option is going to be Ryan Donato, uh, for Boston, uh, fresh out of college, but he's been playing great of late been getting top, uh, six minutes, uh, has, uh, four goals, uh, on the year, plus another three assists. Uh, his shot rate has been a little down the last couple, um, but I like uh, the line combinations and obviously the price tag at 4,500 is too good to pass up. Uh, defensively, Zach Wierenski for Columbus against Detroit, 5,100. It's a good matchup. Wierenski has been putting a ton of pucks on net. Uh, and the same goes for Ryan Pouliak, uh, 4,000 for the Islanders. They're facing Philadelphia who has some serious question marks in goal right now. A good chance potentially for the Islanders to get some goals in here. Uh, and then, you know, if you're looking at what I built there, you're like, you're asking Shifley 78, Pasternak 75, Wheeler 72. Uh, what are you doing in goal? Well, it's going to be Eric Comrie for me, 7,400. Uh, that's going to be the Winnipeg netminder tonight. Uh, has that matchup with Montreal. Uh, and I think I'm really just going off matchup here for the most part. Uh, Comrie's done some things in, in the minors this year that I, that I like that give me a little bit of confidence. It's not a complete, uh, you know, uh, flyer here. I've, I've at least it's an informed guess, uh, rather than, uh, just a complete shot in the dark. Um, but it is definitely a risk. Uh, his ownership I'm sure is going to be pretty low, uh, but I just liked what his price tag allowed me to do uh, as far as building out the rest of the lineup. So uh, that's what I did tonight, a little bit different than what I've done in the past, uh, especially in the Nets. Uh, Paul, how did your lineup shake out? Well, bottom line is I found a way to get a lot more offense into the mix by saving a little bit money on defense and in goal. So I'll start off with a high end in terms of the money that I spent and tell you that my centers are two elite guys, Patrice Bergeron and Joe Pavelski. Bergeron, an easy pick for me, a game that Boston wants to get. And in a situation where he doesn't have to worry maybe about a uh, healthy Steven Stamkos, he can concentrate on offense. And he's done that better than most in the second half of the season. So I love that situation. And then I also like the situation with Joe Pavelski, a guy who's been Mr. Everything for San Jose over the much of the season, particularly at a time when they've been decimated with injuries at center, particularly Joe Thornton. He stepped, slid over, and he's continued to score. So why wouldn't you put him in against the Dallas team that is not that got, got that much of a structure defensively? So spent $15,100 between the two of those guys there. Alex Took is a guy that I mentioned for Vegas, cl climbing up to their top line there. He's my value pick of the 
the night for $3,800 on that top line against a situation where Vancouver is going to be emotional, uh, emotionally lifted tonight. I still think Vegas has too much depth, and Tuke could be a ca- guy that capitalizes on that front line. Junas Donskoy is a guy that I like in San Jose. He's elevated his profile there. Again, against that vulnerable Dallas team, another cheap pick of $4,300. Helps me spend some money elsewhere. Some of that dough goes to the likes of Jonathan Marchessault for a consistent scoring that he provides for Vegas. And then Jakob Voracek, he's been moved around the roster in Philadelphia, and they've built a second scoring line around him. That's how good he's been, and he gets a $7,100 price tag against an Islanders team that gives up a ton of goals. I think Philadelphia's going to run up a big score. You can almost consider a Philadelphia stack here tonight, in fact, in my opinion. On defense, we agreed on Zach Wierenski. It's too, too good a matchup. Columbus needs this game. He's the centerpiece of their they're a uh, attack from the blue line and a power play quarterback that should get a lot of action tonight for $5,100. Shea Theodore is another, on another hot streak. He's been on a few of these this season for Vegas and uh, one of the linchpins of their attack on the power play. $4,400, his low price tag. I also get to spend $8,300 on Keith Kincaid, who's taken over the goalie, top goalie minutes uh, in a lot of the recent games in New Jersey. And they like to put it to the Rangers whenever they can. You've got to think they're going to be looking forward to, to solidifying the playoff hopes at the Rangers' expense, and I think Kincaid receipts for an easy win tonight. What about the optimizer, AJ? So I do want to highlight one of uh, the features of the optimizer. Uh, under the, the filters options here, uh, you can set it uh, to filter out uh, teams that aren't favored uh, on the money line. Uh, it's an option to give you teams that uh, have been performing better, teams that are expected to win. Uh, so what I did is I basically set uh, the optimizer to only give me players that are on teams uh, favored to win tonight. And so the lineup that it spits out from there uh, is Joe Pavelski for 7,200. Paul, you talked about him. Michael Backlund for Calgary at 5,200. So this is one interesting aspect of this. Uh, Calgary, uh, there's going to be three flames total here, but they're matched up with Arizona, who's been a, a you know a very uh, poor team for much of the year. And so because Calgary's fla- favored, you might see them show up more in the optimizer than you might otherwise. Uh, from there, it goes with Taylor Hall for New Jersey at 8,400, Kyle Palmieri of the Devils for 6,300, and then Marcus Johansson at 4,100. Now, obviously, if you're going to use this lineup, you want to make sure that Johansson's actually playing today. Uh, he was taken off IR, but didn't suit up in that last game. And then the optimizer saving some money with another Calgary player here, Spencer Fu for 3,000. Now you might be asking, who is Spencer Fu? Uh, just to give you a little uh, note on that, uh, has spent most of the season with the Stockton Heat in the AHL, played 59 games for them, 20 goals, uh, 17 helpers. So he's got some offensive upside, at least that he's shown in the minors. Uh, whether he can transition that to the NHL will certainly be a question here, and uh, maybe you take a risk for 3000 that he can actually do it defensively it's going to go with brent burns for 7200 and then dougie hamilton for 5600 rounding out your calgary flames uh, and then in the nets uh, the optimizer even before i made the change uh, likes uc Saros tonight for eight thousand dollars saves you a little bit of money uh, he's favored in that matchup and so uh, a, a decent pick in my opinion uh, especially very similar to my comrie pick albeit a little bit safer a guy with a little more experience 
uh, between the pipes. So that's what the optimizer is showing with that slight tweak of that money line filter. There's a ton of other ways to filter the optimizer. There's a stacks feature. So if you want to just key in on a specific team, it'll give you, uh, you know, different ways to build stacks. And so a lot of ways to use the optimizer. And a reminder to our listeners, it's an award-winning tool in the industry, and we're proud to have it under the uh, Rotowire banner. Let's uh, find it, finally wrap it up. The regular season winds up, and our last stud of the week is a kind of a nod to the surprise team in the NHL, the Vegas Knights. Uh, William Carlson has led all scores in the past uh, seven days with nine points, and his Vegas club, as I said, clinched their division. Last year, this guy scored six goals and 25 points, AG. This year, it's 42 goals, 75 points, and a plus 46. I don't know of anyone who saw this performance coming. And looking back into his early years, there was no indication that his offensive explosion was possible, though he was a second-round pick by Columbus in 2012. He did have a couple of nice seasons in junior and elite leagues in Sweden, but nothing like this. Opportunity knocked in Vegas, and he's taken full advantage to become a star under the Vegas bright lights, but he's had a lot of company there. Well, I think this speaks a, a little bit to, uh, you know, something, uh, a revisionist history that I've been hearing lately about how Vegas got to pick all the best guys from from all these teams and that, you know, they really uh, the league did everything they could to let them be uh, as good as possible. I think William Carlson kind of defeats that argument. Uh, to your point, Paul, 25 points last year, 75 this year. Uh, this is not a, a performance that I, I think George McPhee might be the only guy uh, outside of Carlson's immediate family that thought <laughs> he could pull this off here. Uh, and so to, to argue that Vegas had everything in their favor, I think they got a, a good deal. I think uh, they were allowed to make some some decent picks. Uh, but a guy like William Carlson probably would still only be a 20, 30 point guy if he was still in Columbus. Uh, Vegas gave him a bigger role uh, and allowed him to really blossom into this type of player. And so to, to argue that Vegas had everything going for them uh, and was supposed to be good is definitely a revisionist history of how it was. Nobody expected them to be good. I predicted them as a as a wild card team and i think a lot of people thought i was nuts i think if i had said they'd win the pacific division you would have had me committed well and uh, speaking of having people committed i wonder if the nhl is <laughs> running out of rope for brad marchand great segue there i think uh, in the rant of the week look at here's a guy he's a great hockey player folks but did you watch the highlights on the weekend aj he retaliated with a cross check to a defenseless andrew mcdonald after the ladder took him out of the play with a very nice and easy motion toward the boards and they both fell to the ice well he got a minor penalty for his trouble for high sticking this guy ac across the beak but it should have been a major for a deliberate attempt to injury you could see him looking at his defenseless victim and then promptly delivering a cross check to the nose as long as NHL disciplinarian George Peros and company continue to go soft on him and these repeated off offenses, he's going to continue to be rec that reckless. I've said he's a top talent, but he needs to be cut off, never mind reined in. This is not the Wild West, it's the NHL, where skill and fair play should go hand in hand. I'm going to keep hammering on this point until you, the guys with these tendencies disappear, no matter how good they are as players. Well, it, you look at every uh, every one of his fines and suspensions combined. Marshawn has forfeited close to eight hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollars in his career 
due to fines and game checks lost due to suspension. I mean, it's a joke at this point to find the guy $5,000. Uh, I, I get that it's, you know, the max that they're allowed to find him, but you, they need to come down harder on, on this guy at this point. It's the fourth time this season he's been suspended or fined. And it's absolutely ridiculous. You're supposed to get escalators if you're a repeat offender. And so while maybe somebody else who hasn't done this at all this season warrants a max fine from the NHL for this, you're talking about a guy in his fourth instance of getting fined or suspended this year. It has to be a suspension. A fine at this point is ridiculous. And, and really the, the NHL department of player safety has turned into a joke the last couple of days with how lenient they've been. I get, you don't want to risk suspending him for five games and have it impact the playoffs. That's his problem. And that's a problem that the Boston Bruins would have to take a look at if you actually suspended him for postseason play. And I think that's probably what should have happened here because that's the only way it would have gotten through to Marchand, but perhaps more importantly, would have gotten through to the Bruins, who as an organization, I think, need to take a look at why they're just letting this guy run rampant and do whatever he wants. Uh, and, and the league is complicit in that. So. I, I do think a playoff suspension at this point, even regular game suspension is not going to do it for this guy. I think suspended during the postseason is what's going to finally maybe wake up Marchant and perhaps more importantly, the Boston Bruins. But And I'll finish by saying that there are other instances that date back even a quarter century, one that stuck in my throat, no less than Wayne Gretzky got away with one against the Leafs in a playoff game that people still talk about here that prevented the Leafs from possibly going to the finals against Montreal in 93. He high-stuck Dougie Gilmore in overtime, a, p- a play that wound up costing the Leafs the services of their player for the remainder of that game. And Gretzky didn't even get a penalty there, never mind a fine. And he wound up scoring the winning goal in overtime. So if you think that I'm going to let that go ever, you're mistaken. <laughs> it's just the star, quali- star guys get a different level of treatment here. Let's level the playing field. Take a, don't look at the name on the back. Look at the guy that did the incident uh, as a blank canvas and say, you did this, you get this penalty no matter who you are. In any case, folks, that wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We hope you've enjoyed this show and circle back to get more roster updates, injury news, and other topical news when we get together next Tuesday to do our first round preview. I'm looking forward to that already, AJ. It'd be nice that both our teams are in there. We invite our listeners to tune in so they'll get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of their competition in the playoff pools that will unfold. So long, everybody. (laughs) 